Well, this is it, our final installment of our series called Joy to the World. Here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to infuse your life with joy, but like real, sustaining, lasting joy. Because there's a couple things that I tend to see is that sometimes during the Christmas season, we can go to one of two extremes. Is number one, sometimes we can mask our lives with a little bit of, of Christmas high, right? Like you get just, I'm going to make Christmas so awesome. And we fixate on Christmas and we try to put a bunch of, maybe maybe we'd say artificial joy on our life for a little bit of a season. And then then what happens is we go back to January, we're like, all right, now I'm going back to misery. And so I don't want you to do, I don't want you to have superficial joy. You know, it's, it's almost like getting a fake tree versus a real tree. I want you to have the real tree, right? Um, but the other thing sometimes happens, not, not only do you sometimes just put a lot of joy, maybe temporarily or, or, or momentarily on your life during the season, for some people it's the exact opposite, the extreme opposite. It's that this time of year, we see all these images maybe of gift giving and family and togetherness, and you feel the exact opposite. Maybe you feel lonely or isolated or, or you're, you're going through a difficult season in your life. And what I want you to know is this, is that you can experience lasting, sustaining joy because of Jesus. And I want to help you discover that today. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter four. Philippians is a, is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to his favorite church. I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but that's, that's a lie. You know, cause you say that about your kids. Oh, I love you all equally. Let's be honest. One of them is wearing you out a little bit more than the other sometimes. It's not that you don't love them equally, but like some are easier on you. You know what I'm talking about? And so, you know, whether it's coworkers or family members or whatever it is, this is, so the apostle Paul's the same way. He's like, look, I love all these churches, but y'all are easy on me. And so, you know. He writes to them a letter, and in this letter, there's about 15 different times he uses the word rejoice or joy. And this is the theme, really, that you find throughout this book. And in chapter 1, he talks to you about how to have joy in even your terrible circumstances. How to find joy even when things aren't going your way. In chapter 2, he talks to you about how to have joy in your relationships and how you accomplish that. You're not waiting for other people and other relationships to bring you joy, you actually bring joy into the relationship by adopting the mind of Christ. And that's fascinating. Last week we talked about how really you, how many know you tell a story? This is like I counsel people and I I enjoy counseling people. And what happens is, is when they come into my office, I begin to ask them a bunch of questions and I get them to tell me their story. And I do this for two reasons. Number one is I just need to know where you're coming from, right? I call it kicking over cans. We're just going to walk around, kick over cans, but oh, look under there. That's weird or that's crazy or that's interesting or whatever. But here's the other thing too is I just want to see how you, how you tell your story. Because how you interpret the story of your life will greatly impact your joy. Because sometimes people in life can have the exact same experience, but the way that they frame their story, the way that they see their past, their present, and their future, man, that is powerful to experiencing joy. Sometimes you need to rewrite your story. Sometimes you you look into your past and you think, woe is me, and this was bad, and this was terrible, and this was this. I'm telling you, you have the power. We're going to discover this today. You have the power to rewrite your story. And if you learn how to do that, you'll change. If you learn how to do that, you'll go from maybe living and thinking about the past with such maybe guilt or such anger or such depression, and you'll rewrite your story of your life. It's powerful. And I'm going to teach you a little bit today about how to do that because in this final chapter, he says a bunch I could have written three different sermons, but I'm going to land on what I think was maybe the most important thing for us today. Everybody say, okay. But this is how he begins. Philippians chapter four, verse number four, rejoice in the Lord always. Everybody say, always. That seems like a difficult task, Paul. 
no thank you. Sometimes I want to be angry. Sometimes I want to yell. Sometimes I want to kick the cat. I don't even like cats. And so sometimes I want to kick the cat. And so rejoice in the Lord always, really, yes. And then he actually doubles down. He goes, actually, I'll say it again. Rejoice. And this is what you find. I'm going to give you a little bit of insight here just into the nature of joy. And this is the first thing that you need to see is this. Number one is this is that joy is found in Christ. I don't find it from me. This isn't self-help humanism. I'm not getting in front of a mirror and saying, Todd, you're good enough. You're smart enough. And doggone it, people like you. If you're a kid from the 90s, you know who that is. Thank you, Stuart, right? And so that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about drumming it up. I'm not talking about just making it happen. I'm not talking about fake it till you make it. I'm not talking about just, you know, again, manufacturing your own joy, I'm telling you that joy is found in Christ. That's why he says rejoice in the Lord always. He's not saying, he's not saying look at terrible situations and be like, yes! The the apostle James kind of does that. He's like, look at your temptations and you'll find incredible joy. That's just really, really hard. What what I want to tell you is that you have to find your joy first and foremost in Christ. But you know what that leads us to? It it leads to this. I'm going to empower the heck out of you right now because it leads to this second insight. If joy is found in Christ, that means I have the ability and the opportunity and the potential to choose it for myself. See, many of us are prisoners to this world and we're reactors and responders to everything that happens to us. But I'm telling you that God has given you the ability to choose joy. It is found in Christ. And if I have the ability to choose Christ, I have the ability to choose joy. And the last thing that you can see is this, is that joy cannot be contained. That's why he doubles down and says, I'll just, I'll just say it again. I cannot help myself. And so this is the wonder of the gospel and why I want you to constantly be sharing your story, constantly be loving people, constantly be praying people, uh, constantly be inviting people to church. Because when you experience the joy of Christ, you can't help but try to pass that along to someone else. And to me, this is really the nature of joy. It is something that is only truly found in Christ, but it is something that you are empowered to choose. Now, that's just where he starts. Look at where he goes next. He says a couple different things. They're so good. I want to land on verse number eight in just a minute here. Ready? Verse number five, he says this. He goes, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Everybody say anything. The Apostle Paul uses extreme language sometimes. You almost think it's hyperbole, but I, I don't think it really is. So when he says rejoice in the Lord always, what he's telling you is, is that it's possible. Not probable, but possible to live in a state where you at least, even in your grieving, even in your sadness, you still have a, a certain amount of joy as the foundation of your life. And he does it again here when he talks about the opposite. The, the opposite being anxiety, stress, worry. He goes, don't be anxious about anything to which we would all be like, Lord, do you know who my wife is? Do you know who I is? Do you know my financial situation? Do you know who my kids are? Do you know who I work with? Do you know who my boss is? Be anxious about nothing. That's what he says. But everybody say, but, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Somebody needs to put that scripture to memory. You need to put that like David said, where he said, I hid your word in my heart. Because that is the type of thing that when you experience anxiety and stress and worry, you need to go to that and begin to change the way that you think 
about worry, about stress, about your situation and begin to apply that to your life. And this is how he summarizes it here. And this is where he says a summary statement, right? Because he starts with the word finally. Everybody say finally. Finally, which is weird too. You want to be honest? Like, you know how preachers like, all right, I'm closing and they do it like three times. This is what he does here. Because he says finally, but he, he goes on preaching and has like two more summary things by the end of the chapter. So he's, it's a lie. But we're only going to read this one. So it's true today. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable. If there's anything that's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, you put that into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Everybody say, think about it. Think about it. He has this list where he goes, if there's anything good or right or pure or trustworthy or noble or uses all these different words, he goes, think about these things. Today, I want to talk to you about your mind and how your mind is going to be highly responsible for the joy that you experience in life. Because here's what's going on. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but have you ever realized like your body is doing all kinds of things right now that you're completely unaware of? Like your blood is doing things, your cells are doing things, your, your, your innards, you're doing things, you, whatever you had for breakfast, there are things going on right now with your breakfast food. You're not thinking about those things, are you? You're not like, you know what? Hold on. I need to digest that little piece of chicken right there. You're not thinking about, so, hold on. I need a little bit more white cells over there. Or, I, you're not thinking, you know, you know, my immune system needs a little boost to this. I'm going to shift some energy or shift some things over there. You're not thinking about any of those things. And so what scientists have concluded is that your body and your mind is controlling about, I don't know, about 4 billion things right now. So you got billions of things going on inside of you right now. You can only be conscious of about maybe 2,000 of them is what they've concluded. But, everybody say but. But the things that you are conscious of, what happens is, is that, this is what neuroscientists have figured out, is that your brain is thinking thoughts. And as your brain has these conscious thoughts, that your body responds to the thoughts by dumping chemicals in different areas of your body, both like regular chemicals, different like CRH and, and uh, um, what's another one, endorphins, different things like this. And there's even electrochemical reactions going on inside of you. So you need to know that there's an incredible level of connection between your mind and your body, are you tracking with me so far? As a matter of fact, this is what they've determined. That, that basically you have good chemicals and you have bad chemicals. So whenever you are really, really happy, really, really excited, you experience some type of accomplishment. How many have ever seen like a physical reaction? You can actually feel something go off in your body. That's because when you have a great experience, your body dumps, your mind has these thoughts and your body dumps endorphins into your body. And these things can be healing agents. Think about this. Think about the proverb that says... A happy heart or a merry heart does good like medicine. Why? Because the happier you are and the, you literally are dumping endorphins into your body. Now, the opposite is true, though, that whenever you feel sad or whenever you feel angry or if ever you feel afraid, you release other negative chemicals. It could be worry, anxiety, guilt, unforgiveness, resentment. All of this stuff dumps negative chemicals into your body. Isn't that weird? Sometimes we just kind of disassociate. We just think, well, these are my thoughts and this is my body, but they're incredibly connected. As a matter of fact, that what they discovered is, is that about 80% or so of chronic illness is not genetic based. 
I know that we think that though. We think, oh, I've got heart disease because mama had heart disease and grandma had heart disease or whatever. Or, or dad was like this and so dad's this and I got this and that's just, it's genetic. What neuroscientists have determined is, is that it's only about 15 to 20% of stuff is even genetic. That most of it, 80% or maybe even more sometimes, is not genetic based. It is thought based. It is based on the way that you think. And the more that you have these fear based, doubt based, negative thoughts, the more chemicals you're dumping into your body and you're actually harming your physical self. As a matter of fact, they've linked depression to heart disease. So think about that. If you stay in constant states of depression, you are actually hurting your heart. So again, the mind and the body, it's incredibly connected. Now here's what I've learned about me and here's what I've learned about other really, really mature people. Now if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. Really, really mature people are aware of their thoughts. You ever thought about that? Have you ever, I'll put it like this. Have you ever had an experience? Unforgiveness is an easy one to do. Have you ever been angry at somebody and been harboring some unforgiveness? And then your mind will go into a place where you start having flashbacks, reenactments, imaginary conversations, and you just rehearse over and over and you stew on it. Maybe that's why everybody say stew. It just marinates. How many of you are like that? Your brain will just go to a funky place, negative place, and you'll just stay in that negative mood and have those negative thoughts. Well, here's what really, really mature people do. Really, really mature people are aware of their thoughts. And the second thing really, really mature people are aware of is that they are not their thoughts. So a really mature person can step back and say, wow, my thoughts are really, really negative right now. I'm having these imaginary conversations. That's not good. I'm going to change what I'm thinking about. Because you are not your thoughts. As long as you think you are your thoughts, then you think that's just natural. That's just who I am. It's not who you are. I'll prove it to you. The reason why I know that you are not your thoughts is because when you were young, you used to think this way, and then you got older, and then you changed your thinking. Does that make sense? So you're not your thoughts. They're just things that you have. Your emotions work the same way. You're not your emotions. They're just things that you have. They're reactions to what you're experiencing in life. It's, it's not who you are, though. It's just things that you're carrying. And the reason why we know that we are not our thoughts is because we change our thoughts and we change how we feel depending on maybe our experiences or new information. Have you ever, ever I remember I, there was a story about a man who was on a bus with his two kids and his kids are acting crazy and a woman across from him is watching these kids just act like little hellions. And she's getting all judgy and angry at how annoying these little pesky kids are. So she's experiencing anger. Then the man looks up to her and says, hey, I'm sorry, I have to apologize. We're coming from my wife's funeral right now and I'm a little detached. I'm sorry my kids are bothering you. Well, now what did she feel? Well, number one, she felt like an idiot for being so judgy, but then she felt actual empathy and compassion. Her emotions changed based on information that she had. So you are not your emotions. They're just things that you're having. You are not your thoughts. They're just things that you're having. But I'm telling you, really mature people are aware of what their thoughts are. And then they're aware that they're not their thoughts. They're just things that they're having. Because once you come to that time, by the way, that's what separates you from the animal kingdom. You ever thought about that? That's what we call self-awareness. Your ability to step outside of yourself and to think about your own thoughts. To think about your own feelings. How many have dogs or cats? Right? Even the smart ones. Right? Yeah, like I got a little dog named Marley. And she just does weird things. I got a little cat named Thor. 
and he is a destroyer, right? And so, and he just does things. I've never once like seen the cat just go and think about things. You know, why did I lick myself today? Why did I, why did I go and bite Tara Lee? Why do I keep, you know, what? Cause he's a weird cat. He wasn't raised by other cats, so he doesn't know how to act like a cat. He's raised by dogs, so he kind of acts like, you ever seen a cat that acts like a dog? That's what I got. So he's weird. He's a hybrid animal. He's never once become self-aware. You ever seen like a cat write a poem? Hey, I'm going to express my feelings today. I want to think about these things. No, this is what separates you from the animal kingdom. It's called self-awareness, right? As a matter of fact, this is what I think the Apostle Paul is alluding to when he talks about you living out of your flesh. He uses the word flesh as I believe is a way of you talking about living out of your basic human instinct. Not self-awareness, because how many of you know, like, I'll give you a good example, like babies, you know, they, they get a little bit older, they turn into little kids, and as soon as a little kid thinks he's going to get into trouble, a kid will lie. Now, this is my bet. Most of you parents never taught your kids how to do that. If you are, you're a bad parent. If you teach your kids how to lie, that's bad. If you teach your kids how to win at White Elephant, that's brilliant. But you don't teach your kids how to lie. They just do it instinctually, right? The same way my cat licks himself or the dog does certain things or whatever. Living on instinct. Why? I don't want to get in trouble. No, I really want the candy. I'm just going to lie about it. It's instinct. And so what happens is, is that there are all kinds of reasons you have instincts. And what Paul's saying is this. Don't just live off of instinct. No, you're a self-aware. This is why the Bible says that you are created in the image and likeness of God, that God breathed into you. And you became a living soul. This is what separates you from everything else. Your ability to distinguish, hey, I am not my thoughts. I'm not my emotions. I have self-awareness. I have the ability to think about what I'm thinking about. Isn't that crazy? And the apostle Paul is telling you what you can actually think about. And so anyway, if you're taking notes, this is just the profound statement that we're going to get to by the end of the day. It's this. It's that people who experience more joy in life don't necessarily have more to be joyful about. They just think differently. They just think, I just, they just think differently. Circumstances, because you ever met people, this is so annoying. People that have mastered this can sometimes be annoying. Their circumstances are worse than yours. They're more broke than you. They're more bad, bad issues around them, bad situations around them, whatever, whatever it is. And you're like, but dang, they're more happy than I am. Why is that? They just think differently. They've decided to think about what they want to think about and choose joy instead. And so again, really mature, now really, really immature people, they don't do this. What they do is their brain just runs on default. And so therefore you are not living the life you want to live. You're just being lived on. You're being lived on by your instincts. And I'm going to give you some examples of like, because it's not just what you think. Because I already told you like if you think fear-based, negative-based, doubt-based, worry-based stuff. I'm not even going to tell you what, I'm going to show you how bad thinkers think are you ready here's some examples so this is what i would call some stinking thinking this is bad don't be one of these amplifiers you ever been around somebody and don't elbow anybody and let's just assume that you're brilliant and it's not about you but just think about other people for a moment right amplifiers you ever seen this they use words like always like this always happens to me i can never catch a break so they just take whatever it is. No one likes me. Well, Jesus likes you. You got one, okay? Buck up, little buckaroo. Every time. See, when you start using words like never and always and every time, number one, you're factually wrong, but you're just taking your situation and you're amplifying it. Here's another one. Guessers. Ever met people like this? You know what other people are thinking and it's always bad. Oh, I know what she's thinking right now. 
I know what he's thinking right now. It's always bad. You're a guesser. You're assuming the worst in any given situation because you know what other people are thinking. Here's another one. Exaggerators. You just exaggerate. You turn an anthill into a mountain. You use words like horrible. This is horrible. This is the worst. It's ruined. You're labeled a drama queen by those around you. If that's you, that's why. It's because you are an exaggerator. You take everything and make it worse than it already. Personalizers? Anybody like that? You just take everything personal. I tell people this all the time. People, I see road rage, and I'm like, you're a personalizer. You have to be, right? That's the only way you can get mad at road rage. Because here's the deal. They would have cut off the other person. It ain't personal. They're just bad drivers, It ain't about you. It's really not. It's not about you. You don't have to take everything personal. It's not about you. They would have cut off anybody. But bless God, you're like, I know they did that on purpose. Have you ever do that before? Like, you're you're like convinced they did that on purpose. No, they didn't. Most people are oblivious. Right? Most people are not that intentional, not that strategic. They are not. They're not. They're not that diabolical. Okay? Forecasters? Anybody predictors of the future? You just forecast the future and it'll be something terrible, right? You predict the worst case scenario. You do it out loud and you do it often. Just, I just know it's going to turn out terrible. I know. I know as soon as my mother gets here, it's just going to be this and this and this. I can tell. I just know. I just know when he gets here, it's going to do it. You just, you're a forecaster. Cynics, we know what those are. They find something wrong in everything. Like that's your, you think that's your spiritual gift is to point out what's wrong with any given situation. You're a cynic. That's not a spiritual gift. That's a demonic gift. Blamers. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always what they did to me. It's always what they put on me. This is their fault. You're just a blamer. Justifier. This one's funny. You remind yourself, you are entitled to all these negative emotions. And so you use phrases like, well, if you only knew what I've been through, I deserve to be upset. That's fine. I'm just telling you that you're going to miss out on incredible, lasting, sustaining joy. You can be like this your whole life if you want to be. You're just going to be miserable. And I don't want you to be miserable. And God doesn't want you to be miserable. I want you to be set free from that. And I want you to experience incredible joy. And so here's, because you ever ask yourself, where does this stuff come from? Where do all these ways of thinking come from? These fear-based, negative-based, doubt-based, worry-based, where do these things even come from? Well, they come from a few different places. One of them would be your personality sometimes is just kind of bent into a certain direction. But that's no excuse. Sometimes it's just the way that you were raised. But I'm going to tell you this. Most of the ways that you think or the reasons why you think the way that you think are based on the traumatic experiences or the negative experiences that you faced in life or even maybe the negative words spoken over you. That's where it goes. Because here's the deal. Your brain works like a library. Now, how many of you have really good memories? Raise your hand. How many of you have terrible memories? Okay, good. I am a terrible memory person and I love it. I love it. It don't bother me a bit. Every week I come to church, it's like your mercy is new every day. I promise. My wife tells us about like anytime we're doing like marriage counseling stuff, she goes, oh, my husband's great. He doesn't remember how flawed I am. And I don't. I don't even know. So 
But your brain does store things. You have trillions of little cells in your amygdala that basically store information. You have the ability to store about a million years worth of like lifetime, by the way. You're not going to live that long, thank God. But that's what you have the ability to do. And so what happens is, is that your brain works like a library and you start collecting all of these things. And so what happens is, is that remember when you experience something negative, your body releases negative chemicals like CRH into your body and they actually are causing negative outcomes. Remember we talked about how depression is related to heart disease. Do you know that in, in, in suicide victims versus somebody that dies of natural causes that your CRH level is 10 times higher in suicide victims? Why? Because you've been having such incredibly bad and negative thinking that you dumped these chemicals into your body and you're literally being manipulated by going back to the thoughts that you think. And so again, so what happens is that when things happen to you, you have a chemical dump. But then how many of you know that some of you like reliving stuff? Some of you like going back into the past. Hold on. I've got a little, remember, remember how like old school libraries used to work? Remember how like there was a librarian and she always had to help me was, can I get an amen? But you had the cat, the, what was it called? The card catalog thing. Dewey decimal. <laughs> I couldn't even remember that stuff. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time in the library. So, but you would have to go. So this is what your body, your, your, your body does to your mind. So your mind has this library system. And then what some of you like to do is you like to go back into the library and like, hmm, January 16th, 1975. You know, I'm going to go pull that back out again. Remember when she did that to me? Remember when this happened? Remember what, what happened with mom? Remember what happened with dad? And have you ever noticed that when you relive an experience that's years old, that many times you'll have the exact same emotional response? Why is that? It's because the way that your brain works. You're literally reliving some of those old memories. And so here's some of the experiences. Again, depending on your experience, like I know a guy who, uh, because of his wife and because of, uh, of the marriage and because of the way things went, they ended up getting a divorce and he never trusted women again. So he had a traumatic experience and for the rest of his life, he thought women are evil. Women are bad. Women will betray you. Women are the problem. Why? Because he had a traumatic event. I've seen this where people that like a loved one dies. If you have a loved one that dies prematurely, you're angry. You're angry at God. God, why did you take them? That's not fair. You get angry. And again, that anger produces a feeling that produces a chemical dump into your body. And it's literally hurting you. And it's robbing you of the ability to have joy. I know people that like were picked on when they were kids. You were bullied as a kid, mocked as a kid, made fun of as a kid. And then all of a sudden, man, those, those memories and those feelings, you'll go back to them. Why do you think some of us live with constant adult insecurity? Like, you're a grown up. Nobody's picked on you in 10 years, but you still act like that little boy, that little girl that was trapped so many years ago. Where is that? It's, I'm telling you, it's connected to your, your mind. Sometimes it's words that are spoken of you, over you, like things like, you'll, you'll never make it. You'll never succeed. You're never going to amount to anything. You're so stupid. You're so ugly. You're, again, it's just, it's the words. It's the experiences, all these things. And they are literally killing us. So again, you got two kinds of thoughts that you can kind of dwell on. There's two kinds. One would be positive faith-based thoughts and the other would be negative fear-based thoughts. But what did we tell you earlier? Really, really mature people, people who know how to experience joy in life, they are aware of their thoughts. They're aware that they are not their thoughts and they're aware that now they get to choose their own thoughts because the apostle Paul tells you as much. He says, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's pure, whatever's trustworthy, think on these things. That means you think on them. If you are waiting for the Holy Spirit to flood your brain with nothing but positive faith-based things, you're going to be waiting until the day you die. 
That is your responsibility. As a matter of fact, I'll prove it to you. Let me give you a few scriptures. Go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Meaning, don't live on default. Don't live on just what the world dished at you. Don't think like everybody else thinks. Don't do that. Actually be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind. Again, this is a verb. It's just like, think about these things. It is your responsibility. It is on you to renew your mind. Literally to take your thoughts. You'd be fascinated if you read all the scriptures concerning your mind. We'll read a couple. I'm telling you that your mind, it's like the, the control center and it is so greatly responsible and connected to the level of joy that you experience. You have the ability to renew your mind. The word renew is the same word that we would use renovate. You literally rip out the old and you rebuild in the new. That's what it means to renovate. And what the apostle Paul is saying is this, is your mind is going on default until you stop and decide, you know what? I'm going to become more aware of my thoughts. I'm going to recognize that I'm not my thoughts. They're just things that I'm having. And now I'm going to choose the thoughts that I want to think about. I'm going to renew my mind. Watch this one. This is amazing what he says in Corinthians. Second Corinthians, he goes, for though we live in this world, we don't wage war like the world does. He goes, you're in a spiritual battle. We're not talking about real war. He goes, the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Everybody say stronghold. So a stronghold is anything that is strong that has a hold of you. Isn't that brilliant? So in your mind, you have strongholds. This is why you still live with the memories of different experiences that happen to you. We would say those are strongholds because they have a stronghold on you. He goes, they are powerful to demolish those strongholds. We demolish what? Arguments and every pretension, uh, pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we do what? Watch this. This is the brilliant part. We take captive every thought. We take captive every thought. Now, the only way you can take captive a thought is if you are not your thoughts. You have to take those things captive. You have to be aware that I am not my thoughts. You have to be able to have the maturity to say, wow, I'm really, I've really been fearful about this whole situation. I'm stressing. I'm worried about this situation. I'm going to capture that. And then he goes, and by the way, don't just capture it, but actually make it obey Jesus. What a powerful thought. Meaning like, I'm going to surrender that to the will of God, the ways of God, the scriptures of God. I'm going to surrender that. Like, is that the right way to think? Is that God's best for my life? Is that true? Sometimes you need to take facts and surrender them to God's truth. And in doing so, you will renew your mind. But you have to take those things captive. Last one, I'll just, again, just a few of them. The Bible says in Matthew 22, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your Mine, yeah. So you get to choose the thoughts that you want to choose. You actually can love God with your mind. And the way that you do that is by choosing what you want to think about. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you seven quick things that I just want you to do in terms of renewing your mind, in terms of experiencing joy, in terms of like thinking on the right things. Number one is this, if you're taking notes, this is how you manage your thoughts. Number one, everybody say, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Everything, remember, all joy starts with Christ. Remember the Lord. You've got to focus on your relationship with God, who God is. As a matter of fact, I found this to be the cornerstone of all of life. Honest to God. Anytime you dig down deep enough into somebody's issue, you will find ultimately at the core of it, you will need to discover how a person sees and thinks about God. 
Because if you have a distorted view of who God is, you will eventually have a distorted view of who you are, and then that will lead to a distorted view of the world that you live in and the circumstances around you. You cannot get away from this. You have got to have a personal relationship and experience with God where you know who God is, and that right there is the foundation of joy. You remember who you are because you remember whose you are. I am a child of God, and that starts everything right there. Number two is this, forgive others without exception and mean it. Man, if you're, if listen, if you want to choose to harbor unforgiveness, you will never experience complete and satisfying, satisfying joy in your life. It's impossible. You cannot harbor bitterness and unforgiveness and experience deep and lasting joy. The two things are mutually exclusive. You cannot have them both. They are opposites. So just becoming a person that chooses to forgive. Remember, you're, you're not your emotions. So I know you're angry. I know you're bitter. I know what they did was wrong. I'm not saying that, that, that forgiveness is letting somebody go off the hook and justify their behavior or any of that stuff. I'm saying you need to let yourself go. You need to look at your forgiveness as your freedom. Because by letting them go, by canceling their debt, by releasing them from your life, you don't have to go relive that experience over and over and over again and let it rob you of joy. I want you to forgive for you. Here's another one. Not just forgive others without exception. Forgive yourself freely and often. Early and often. We talked about this last week that I am happy to let God forgive me. Like I think God's grace is incredible. Sometimes I'm not very gracious towards myself. Absolutely let the Lord forgive you, but let yourself off the hook as well. Like God, the Bible uses this incredible hyperbole. He goes, God has cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. That God cast your sin into the sea of forgiveness. This incredible language to paint you this picture of, no, God let you go. God forgave you. God's not holding that against you. Well, if God's not going to hold it against you, you should probably stop beating yourself up. Go and be free and experience incredible joy. Number four is this is focus on your God-given blessings. I'm telling you what, this is an incredible attribute of joy. It's just gratitude. People that make a list, every, every time you see your mind going south, every time you see your mind going negative, anytime you are aware that your mind has gone into a bad place, one of the easiest ways to do it is just say, hey, you know what, I'm going to have a moment of gratitude. For the next five minutes, all I'm going to do is think about everything that I have to be grateful for in life. I'm going to say it out loud. I'm going to thank God for it. That type of attitude of gratitude is powerful. Number five is this, capture negative thoughts. Again, there's something weird there that the Apostle Paul talks about. He goes, there's a battle going on inside of your mind, almost like a spiritual battle. We know this to be true. I want you to think about this. We talked about how mature people are aware of their thoughts. Really mature people are aware that they are not their thoughts. Really, really mature Christians are aware that not all thoughts are even self-generated. That there's literally a spiritual battle taking place somewhere around you. And that the way that your spiritual enemy works is by the power of suggestion. Think about that. Like we talk about like Satan or the devil or things like that. But like there's no physical being. There's no, it's not like there's some guy running around on earth wreaking havoc. No, what, what, what is, what is your spiritual enemy use? The power of thought. The power of suggestion. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Even though there is a physical moment where there's a serpent talking to Eve, all he does is introduce a thought. Go read the story again. He doesn't do anything. He literally just says, hey, did God really say this? (laughs) I mean, how manipulative is that? You ever had that friend who's a bit of a manipulator? And they just drop in the most subtle suggestion. Hmm. I wonder why she said that. 
I wonder why he did that. Hmm. Uh, They're manipulators. What do you think your spiritual enemy is? He's a manipulator through the power of suggestion and thought. So you've got the, you've got to have the ability to capture negative thoughts. Not only that, you need to replace, this is number six, you need to replace your negative thoughts with the right thoughts. You need to, like, like, think about this real quick here. You can't really focus on any more than one conscious thought at a time, right? Like you can't, so here, here's what I'm trying to tell you to do is you can't actually like get rid of negative thoughts. It's impossible to do that. Has, women, y'all know this is so difficult. Have you ever emptied your brain, women? Nope. You ever emptied your brain? Your brain's going like this. You're like, it's like a hamster. It's like 20 hamsters on 20 treadmills just all the time. <laughs> Guys got one and sometimes that thing takes a nap. But, but women, y'all, <laughs> and the reality is, is that you can't just, I'm going to stop thinking about that. Cause sometimes you do that. Like even really, really good, mature, wise people, I'm going to stop thinking about that. It's really impossible to, though. You can't turn your brain off. Even while you're sleeping, your brain is working. So you can't turn it off. So you meaning you can't remove negative thoughts. You can only replace negative thoughts. So it's not enough to say, wow, I'm going to stop thinking all that negative stuff. You have to actually say, this is what I'm going to choose to think about. This is why the scripture is so important. This is why reading and studying and meditating on scriptures is so powerful. Because what are you going to replace those negative thoughts with? You need to take a faith-based or divine thought and focus and fixate on it. And that's how you remove the negative thought. It's not that you just empty your brain. It's that you replace your thoughts. Everybody say that was good. And then lastly, it's this, practice some self-care. Meaning like, take care of yourself. I guess here's my question. Monitor the thoughts that are constantly coming into your brain from outside sources. Ask yourself questions like this. What do I read? What do I watch? What do I listen to? Who are the, this is the biggest one. Who are the people that I surround myself with? Listen to me, if you're going through a hard time in your marriage... You know one of the dumbest thing that you can do is? Get around your five divorced people who hate men. You think you're going to get some breakthrough and really love God and be like, you know, I'm going to stay faithful and committed and watch what God does in this marriage and believe for the miraculous. And, be, and you're getting around your five divorced buddies who drink too much and nag about their husbands? And you think that's... It got quiet up in here. Y'all got five divorced buddies that... I was just a joke, people... But I mean, it's real, it's real talk. If you, you get around people who are Eeyores in life, people who just want to dump all over your situation, be negative about your situation, those people are toxic. We love them people from a distance. We send them people Christmas cards. I don't invite them into the deepest levels of my life. I don't, I, I, I spend time with them to invest in them. I do not spend time with them to absorb them. I need to take care of myself. What do I read? What do I watch? What do I listen to? Who are the people that I surround myself with? Hey, what are my spiritual disciplines? Like one of the greatest spiritual disciplines that we've lost, especially in California, is going to church every Sunday morning. Like it it used to just be a thing. Now it's got to actually be a thing that I focus people to think about. No, get to church every single Sunday morning. How else do you begin the process of renewing your mind? The Bible actually talks about how faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. If you want to have faith-based thoughts, bless God, get into church. Every single week, there's no exception. Stop sleeping in. Stop making excuses. Get into church for your own joy and satisfaction. 
so you can elevate in life, so that you can change the way that you think? Is there a moment in your week where you say, no, man, I take time and I just pray. I take time and make my gratitude list. I take time and I read scripture and I meditate on the right things. I take, I have spiritual discipline. Sometimes I just go for a walk and all I do is pray. I cast my cares to the Lord because the Lord cares for me. These are just the spiritual discipline. You take care of yourself. You practice that self-care because at the end of the day, those who experience more joy in life, they don't necessarily have more to be joyful about. They just think differently. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? Okay, to the best of your ability, just try to quiet your mind and listen to me. What have you been thinking about? What have you been thinking about? Hey, do you have any default modes that you need to uproot, take captive, and get rid of? Are you the type of person that maybe does see the negative, point out the negative, speak the negative in any given situation? Are you taking too many things personal that are not personal? Are you taking the things in your life and just making them bigger than they ought to be? What have you been thinking about? Are there any like, this is hard. Are there any moments in your past that you like to go back to every once in a while and relive? I'm telling you, you don't have to live with that. God wants to help you renew your mind to change the way that you think. If you need a list of what to think about, you can just steal the Apostle Paul's because he said whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything that's excellent or praiseworthy, you think about it. So Lord, help us to become a people that are so aware of our thoughts, but that God, we actually surrender our thoughts to you. We take captive negative things, God, and we actually choose to think about you. We choose to think about what you're up to in our life. We choose to think about things that are pure and right and just. God, would you please help us to be a people who, because we have renewed our mind, experience incredible and sustaining joy. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, give me a good gospel. Amen out there. Yeah. Yeah, give the Lord a big hand clap this morning.